We are now in week two of our series called Hidden Heroes, and I've just loved just reading through these stories and studying the book of Judges because these stories are so, they're real and they're raw and they're authentic and they're not trying to like paint a glossy, better than experience. Like it really, it's so transparent, these stories, and I think they're really going to bless us. So we've been looking at these characters that we don't often talk about, these, these hidden heroes in Scripture. And so we're going to be spending time in this series just in the book of Judges. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but a lot of what you do in life, you do out of habit. Everyone say habit. I don't know if you know this, but about 45% of all your decisions you're not making consciously. About 45%, almost half of the decisions you make during the day are actually just on autopilot. Like the way you get up, your morning routine, the route that you take to work, the, the apps that you open when you board, the people you speak to. I mean, like a lot of our life is just kind of on repeat, right? Like there's a lot of our life that's just on autopilot. It's these things we do day in and day out. We just do them again and again and again. And eventually they become these habits in our lives. And so we see these kind of, our lives have these patterns to them, right? These things that we just do consistently again and again and again and again. And as you read the Old Testament, you start to see that they're kind of stuck in a habit. They're stuck in a pattern. They're stuck in this pattern that theologians sometimes refer to as the sin cycle. And it works like this. They're in love with God one day and they're following Him and they're obeying Him and then they get distracted by the things of this world and they kind of fall out of obedience. And with that, they fall out of God's favor and protection and then life just doesn't go so well. They normally get enslaved and oppressed and at some point they wake up and go, oh, we better get back to God. And then they cry out to God and, and God provides them a deliverer like a leader in Scripture, in Judges, they're called a judge, right, to, to liberate them, to lead them towards freedom. But after a while, guess what happens? Right, they, they kind of fall out of obedience again. And they start living away from God again. And, and they start to rebel again. And so God takes His hand over the, off them, and they again fall into oppression and slavery, and then a crowd to God, and God provides a leader. I mean, it's just amazing how often this happens as you read Scripture. And so we're going to find the Israelites today in the exact same position we found them in last week. Literally the exact, I mean, after Ehud had done all that work and, and gone, and, and this unlikely guy had gone and liberated them, and they were in 80 years of peace, now we find Israel in the exact same place as they were the week before. We're going to open the story in the book of Judges, chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. And it says this in verse 1. After Ehud's death, the Israelites again, everyone say again, they again did evil in the Lord's sight. I don't know about you, but like when I read through the Old Testament, I sometimes get so frustrated with these Israelites. Like they... They're walking with God for a while, and then they just kind of lose the plot. And I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament and you've been feeling like, come on, guys. Like, when are you going to get it right? Like, come on, guys. I mean, you have seen God at work. You've literally seen Him part the sea and 
provide you food from the ground and like you've you've seen God lead you with a with a pillar of fire and of cloud like you've seen God bring water out of a rock why do you turn from him like how do you doubt him like sometimes I'm reading the Old Testament and you just see these Israelites stuck in this habit this pattern of falling away from God and I want to like faith palm myself and say God Get it right, guys. Stop falling away from God. Stop falling into the same traps. But I think why it touches a nerve, and I think why Scripture shows us the cycle, it's by design. I think it's supposed to touch a nerve in our lives because the Israelite story, is, it's my story, really. And I bet that it's your story. Right? The story of like I'm close with God. Okay, I'm falling away. Oh, I'm close with God. Like, there's the same sin cycle that we see. And, and so I think it touches the nerves because often in our own walk with God, we want to face palm and say, come on. Why am I seeing this again? Like, why did I do that again? Why? Like, I thought I had solved, like, I thought I had sorted out this issue. Like, why is it back in my life again? Why did I do that again? I think so often we're, we're faced with this exact same sin cycle in our lives. But I want to encourage you from these stories and judges. Listen, the God that we see here responds so lovingly and so patiently every time. Like he doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't like diminish his love towards them at all. Every time he's patient towards them. And guys, this is in the Old Testament like before Jesus died for our sins. Under the law, God responds graciously. Imagine how much more he responds graciously now that your sin has been paid for, that the debt has been settled, that your life has been ransomed. Imagine how much more patient God is towards you. And so I want to encourage you, if you have been stuck in that sin cycle, run back to God knowing that he is waiting for you to return. Because so often what happens is when we fall in the sin, we can stay stuck in it, almost stuck in our shame and our condemnation. And, and we don't know if we can go back to God again and surely he's going to be frustrated and surely he's like let down and surely he's like, I'm not going to do it again, right? Like we, we, kinda, we, we can stay so stuck in our shame and condemnation that, that we take a long time before we go back to God. But if there's anything that Judges teaches us, it's don't wait. Like if, if you're stuck and if you've fallen, if, if you've done something that you know is not of God, go back to Him quickly. You can return. In fact, the, the quicker you return to Him, the better. The quicker you return to Him, it's evidence that you trust His love, that you trust His forgiveness, that you believe in His grace. And so don't stay stuck in your shame Go back to God, run back to God as close to your sin as you can, as close to that sin being committed. Go back to him, go back to him, go back to him. Look at someone and encourage him with that today. Go back to God. Will you say that to them? Don't wait. Because I want to tell you, the devil loves to keep you stuck in your shame. <laughs> you know that your sin cannot separate you from God anymore? But you know that your shame can? Your sin is Jesus has paid for it. 
It no longer separates you from God, but your shame will keep you out of God's presence. It will keep you hiding like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so we have to trust that God is gracious. That when we mess up like the Israelites again and again and again, that we can run back to God quickly, knowing that we would find in Him a gracious God. And of course, this doesn't give us permission to do what we're going to want to do, right? We can't abuse that grace. But if we have genuine repentance on our heart, we can run back to God quickly. Go back quickly. So we're going to pick up the story where we find the Israelites again in their sin, but they're going to turn back to God. It says from verse 1 to 3, After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of the army was Sisera. Everyone says Sisera. Now, Sisera works for King Jabin, right? He's like the commander of his army. And Sisera lived in Harasheth Hagoyim. Aren't you glad you don't live there, right? You think you might have slain his heart to save for some of you, right? Like, imagine living in Hagosheth, Hagoyim, right? Like, wow. I would just call it like, let's just say he lived in HH, right? Now, Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Here's something we're going to see about biblical sin. And we see this so many times, guys, in Scripture. Biblical sin, like it just always leads to slavery. When you willingly embrace sin in your life, this always leads to like oppression. That's why God doesn't want it for you. Because he knows it leads you to oppression. And every time the Israelites return back to evil, it gets worse. Every time they return back to sin, like it just gets worse. We're seeing it happen here. Like they go back. When they go back, it just gets deeper and darker and worse now they went from slavery to not just being slaves now now they are also ruthlessly oppressed and now it's for longer it's not just for eight years and it's not just for 18 years like we saw last week with Ehud now it's for 20 years like and we have to realize that every time we turn back like it's it just leads to slavery in our lives and now they're enslaved by this guy called King Jabin Who's King Jabin? Is there some history there with him in Israel? Well, it turns out there is. We actually see King Jabin being mentioned in the book before, in the book of Joshua in chapter 11. And it turns out, guys, that the Israelites were actually asked to deal with King Jabin in the book before. But they ignored him in the hopes he would go away. They ignored this problem. They ignored the enemy in the hopes that if they just ignored him, like one day he would just fade into the sunset and have no effect on their lives. But instead, ignoring him allowed him the time to grow his army. Now, let me remind you that the Old Testament serves as a physical example to you and I of what happens in our lives now spiritually. The nation of Israel is a physical example now of the Christians of today, the children of God, the followers of Jesus Christ. The enemies in the Old Testament now become spiritual enemies. We're no longer meant to run up to overweight kings and stab them with double-edged swords. Right? No, this is now talking about 
This becomes a spiritual illustration for you and I to run up to the overweight demons in our lives and stab them with the word of God, right? So who's Jabin? Well, Jabin is for us a spiritual enemy that we have ignored and allowed to exist in our lives. And we have ignored him in the hopes that if we just ignore this problem, if we just ignore this ungodly thing in our lives, hopefully it's going to sort itself out and go away. But if there's something we learn from the story, is when you and I ignore the ungodly things in our lives, when we allow them to exist, well, we just give them an opportunity to grow. Very often they come back with a vengeance. I wonder what the Jabins are in your spiritual life. What are the small ungodly things you're kind of just tolerating? You're allowing them to exist. Like you're, you're allowing them to be there and you know they shouldn't be there, but you kind of just want to put your head on the sand. You, you kind of just want to turn your back on that problem and pretend like those things aren't happening. <laughs> I want to tell you, in my years of counseling as a pastor, I've had obviously the opportunity to sit with hundreds of people who have, if I could just say, really messed up in life. Like, you know, messed up, in, I don't know, in their family, in their marriage, in their business, in their mental health. And they've fallen into, into some big stuff. And, and it's amazing to me how often their stories, even though what they did is very different, their stories of how they got there is almost always very similar. It almost never happens that someone just randomly wakes up and decides, well, today seems like the perfect day to ruin my life. <laughs> today seems like the greatest day to close down my business, to go to jail, to commit a crime, to hurt my kids, to betray my wife. Yes, it looks wonderful. That never happens, guys. So how do they get there? If, if a guy never wakes up and says, well, today seems like the best day to really hurt my children and betray my wife. If that never happens, like how, do, how does someone get there? Well, they get there by ignoring Jabin. By ignoring the small things and, oh, it's not a big deal. By ignoring what they know is a problem with lustful thoughts. By ignoring that wandering eye. By... By just pretending that, oh man, it's not a big deal. And you know, I watch porn every now and again. It's just, everyone does it. Like, like by ignoring that relationship, like, oh, it's okay that I'm WhatsApping her. We're just friends. Meanwhile, deep in your heart, you're hoping it's more. That's how people wind up in adultery. It's not because they wake up one day and make a decision to do it. It's by ignoring Jabin in your life. And so I want to ask you today, because most of us have some kind of Jabins around. Can you name your Jabin? What are the ungodly or evil, unrighteous things you're kind of just allowing to be there and you're just hoping they don't become a problem and that they go away? Well, if there's anything we learn today is very often when you ignore them, you just give them permission to become more powerful. What could it be for you? Maybe if you had to be courageously honest, you would say, well, you know what? I kind, of, I kind of need that wine before I go to bed more than I'd like to admit. Like, like I kind of am living like in a small lie 
And uh, yeah, everyone's believing the lie. Hey, I, I, I'm really allowing that deceit in my marriage. I'm, I'm, I'm a lying, you know, I'm, I'm hiding some money. I'm not telling anyone in the business about that. I'm, I don't know, what, what could it be for you? What does small Jabin look like in your life? Maybe it's just you're allowing some bitterness to exist in your heart. You're, you're allowing some unforgiveness towards someone. And you're kind of just hoping like, hey, if I just ignore that person for long enough, hopefully they go away. And so we don't want to think about it. You know, we don't talk about blue. No, 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 no. That's like, that's how we're treating it. Like, just, we don't talk about blue, no. But, now I've got that song in your head, right? My kids love singing it. I want to encourage you today to face Jabin. We're going to see that when Deborah... And the people of Israel, when they believe God is on their side and given them the power to defeat Jabin, suddenly that's when they have victory. And I believe the same promise that's true in this illustration for us is true for you today. That as you face those ungodly things in your life and say, I will no longer ignore them. Those little things that I know are a problem, I will no longer ignore them. I believe God will give you the victory as well, the victory that you need in your life so that these things don't become massive, oppressive things that keep us in slavery for 20 years like we see in the nation of Israel. God does not want that for your life. He wants you to live in freedom from the bondage of sin. And so would you... Name the Jabins in your spiritual life, the things in your life that you know should not be there. Let's go on with this story in verse 4. It says, Deborah, everyone say Deborah. Deborah, the wife of Lipidot, that's how you pronounce that name, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah. She had this tree named after her. Some of you have the same thing in your lounge, like that's the seat of dad. Right, like, like that's the place of mom, right? This was, she had a palm, this was a palm tree of Deborah. Between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites would go to her for judgment. Here we are introduced to one of the most phenomenal characters in all of Scripture. One of the most powerful women in all of the Bible by the name of Deborah. What made Deborah such a phenomenal person? Well, first of all, Deborah, I mean, she has a big CV, like quite a great resume. We see the first thing that's mentioned about her is that she is the only and the first female leader of the nation of Israel ever mentioned in the history of Israel. She's it. She's the only female head of state. In Scripture, she's called a judge. And in her role as a judge, Deborah is leading the nation. This word judge in scripture is this word shafei, and it means to govern, to rule, to lead, to avenge, tend, to defend, to deliver. All of these are, are the descriptions of what a judge does in the book of Judges. Deborah is the only female judge. And if you want to make notes in your Bible where it's describing or introducing Deborah, Probably the most accurate words you can write down in your Bible is this, boss lady, right? Just, that's what she is. She is the boss lady, right? The original boss lady in the Bible is Deborah. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but 
The Bible says nothing negative about her. Isn't that cool? What a boss lady. So we see she is a judge. The second thing she's called is a prophetess. A prophetess is the female version of a prophet. And what's fascinating is in the whole Bible, there's only two people ever that are both judge and prophet. The other one is Samuel. And Deborah being a prophetess, she is in rare company. In the entire of Scripture, there's only about five or six women named prophetesses. What's a prophetess? A prophet is someone who listens to what God says. They're the ear of the Lord, and then they're the mouth of the Lord. After listening, they speak. They speak the message of God for His people. It's not always future telling. It's saying, hey, this is on the... God's heart, this is God's point of view. I like to think of the prophets as the Old Testament radios. They picked up the heavenly transmission and then declared the message out their speakers. In the Bible, we see in the Old Testament, there was really two roles that you could serve for God. The one was priest and the other prophet. A priest would, would come to God on behalf of the people. So it was a people-God dynamic. They would present prayers on behalf of the people or sacrifices on behalf of the people. That was the role of the priest to come to God on behalf of the people. The prophet was exactly the opposite. They would come to the people on behalf of God and say, hey, this is a message of God. This is what God is saying to his people. Deborah was a prophet as well as a judge. The third thing we see on her CV is that she was a wife. Can all the wives say, hey, uh, hello, wives. Deborah was a wife. In fact, in verse 4, it says that she was a wife of Lipidot. Now, what's fascinating about this is out of the two of them, guess who was the famous one? Deborah. <laughs> she was well known. Deborah was the one who had a public ministry. She was the one who had incredible giftings. She was the one who was spiritual and connected to God. She was the one who had this calling. She was the one who influenced the lives of people. And still scripture introduces her as a wife of Lipidot. In fact, nowhere in scripture is someone introduced as the husband of someone. They're always introduced as the wife of someone, right? This, this is what's fascinating about scripture is you would think because Deborah was so famous that scripture would have said Lipidot was the husband of Deborah, but no. And it just shows that even in her calling and position, Deborah, in her wisdom, still recognized the covenant of marriage that she had. She still recognized her husband's authority. She still recognized him as the head of the home, even though she was clearly more gifted in leadership. She's clearly more gifted in wisdom. She was probably more spiritual than him. She still recognizes him as the head of her home. And I want to encourage some of you ladies who are here Perhaps your husband is on a different journey to you. Maybe you're experiencing a real closeness with God and they're not there. Well, can you pull a Deborah and still respect your husband as the head of your home? Respect him in this God-given role that God has given him in your marriage covenant. The fourth thing that we see in Deborah's life is she is a warrior. A female warrior. How cool is that? That's why she's a boss lady. In fact, we're going to see in the story... Deborah was willing to go where men were not. She was willing to fight when the men were not. She was willing to go to war when the men were afraid of the war. That's how courageous she is. Man, she, she just 
She had courage and bravery. She knew that God was with her and God was for her. And you would almost think, because sometimes we have this like the stereotype of what we see as a strong woman. We would almost think, okay, if she's that strong, she must be cold. She must be heartless. She must be really tough. Like if she, if she was that, like if she was that kind of leader, then surely like she was hard to approach. But actually, that's not what we see with Deborah. In, in Judges 5-7, Deborah refers to herself as a mother. That's the last kind of point on her CV, on her resume, is Deborah is a mother of Israel. She's the self-proclaimed mother of Israel. We don't know if she had biological children, but she definitely saw the whole of Israel as her children. And it shows that even though she had to be a leader, even though she was a warrior and this wife, she wasn't scared to nurture and be soft and, and be kind and be loving and be nurturing. And it shows us, ladies and men, that we can, as we lead, we, we can still be loving, right? We, we can still show this nurturing side. Deborah surely did. And as I look at this woman who did all of these things, as I look at this woman in the Bible who was a first of many and the only woman, kind of reminded us, it teaches us something important. You know, Deborah refused to let society put her in a box. She refused to allow society to tell her who she could and couldn't be. Like she, she could have easily listened to the voices of the day because I promise you guys, it was, there would have been voices around Deborah to say, hey, Deborah, it's kind of not the woman's place to do that. Like, let the men lead. Like, in the whole history of our nation, it's only been men who have led. Like, what do you think? You're going to be a judge? She could have listened to those voices who said, Deborah, you're already a prophetess. You can't also be a judge. Only Samuel could do that. Hey, Deborah, you're a warrior. You, you, you can't, like, be a mother too. Deborah, you're a mom. You can't go to war. There's so many things where people could have just spoken her down and said, Deborah, you can't, you can't, you can't. But she didn't listen to any of that. She only listened to what God said about her life. She only listened to who God said she was. And I kind of wonder, what about you in your life? If you could minimize and shut off all the voices of the people who have said you can't and you shouldn't. If you could minimize and, and silence the inner voices of your own fear and your own insecurity, who would you be? And what would you do if you could take away all those restrictions of, of what society has told you you should be in and shouldn't be? What would you do with your life? Because Deborah lived that kind of life. I don't care what people say about me. I know what God says about me, and that is good enough. That is what I'll do. And it makes sense because, guys, ultimately, God's the only one who knows what you're capable of. Can I remind you, He's the only one who knows your full potential. I don't know if you've ever walked around your house and you've kind of found something that you didn't quite know what it was or where it went or, or what it did. This happens to me often in my house. You know, if you find something and you're not quite sure of its purpose, there's two things you could do. The one is to walk around and ask people, kind of what do they think? Hey, hey Kim, what, what do you think? this does. Hey, 
Hey, Monica, what do you think this is useful? Like, you, you could walk around, right? And you could ask, hey, hey, Zita, have you seen one of these in your house before? Like, but at best, all the other people could just tell you a guess. Like, they could, they might have some good ideas, but they would be guessing. The only person who could truly tell me what this is for is the one who made it. They're the only one who could tell me with 100% certainty what this is for, why it was made. And guys, we are like this little thing. You and I, there are 100,000 voices in our lives that are going to tell us who we should be and what we should do. We're going to take tests and we're going to go for evaluations and we're going to listen to the psych evals. I don't know. We're going to have family tell us and our parents tell us and our teachers tell us and our wives tell us and our kids tell us. Like everyone's going to tell you who should be and what you should do. But at best, they are guessing. The only one who knows with 100% certainty why you are here and what your purpose is, what your potential is, is your creator. The one who made you. And he made you with purpose. He made you with good deeds in mind. He made you with an intention. You're not here by mistake. So who would you be? Who would you be if you could shut out all of those other voices and just say, God, who am I? You tell me. What is my potential? What is my purpose? Imagine we could live like Deborah and just shut out the voices of society and just step into our full calling I hope that she inspires you to live like that and really spend time with God shutting out the voices of people. That she inspires you to spend time with God and to get that right and say, God, what, what do you want me to do with this life? Let's go on with the story. We see this, this prophet, judge, wife, warrior, mother was so confident in herself that she was even willing to give a command to a fellow judge. That's a story we see. Another male judge, she's going to command another male judge, her peer, someone equal in authority. It tells us in verse 6, one day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who we later on discover is himself a judge, who lived at Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. And she said to him, this is what the Lord God of Israel commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali, and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. And I will call out Cesare. Remember who Cesare was? This was the commander of the enemy army, the commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Borat told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. I mean, he's saying this is a male judge saying this to a female. Like, I'm going to go, I'll go, but Borat... I mean, this just shows us how much authority and and confidence and courage Deborah must have had. I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied. I will go with you. But, everyone say but. You will receive no honor in this venture. For the Lord's victory over Cesaro will be at the hands of a woman. And she's not even talking about herself. She's talking about another woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up. Deborah also went with him. I want to pause the story there. Because I think Barak is a great example of you and me. 
You know what? Barak knows what God wants him to do. And he hears clearly the command of the Lord. But you know how he responds? He falls for the same temptation that sometimes you fall for and sometimes I fall for. And it's this. God, I will obey you, but only if. God, I mean, I'll obey you, but only if this happens. Like, God, yes, I'll obey you, but on my terms. We call this conditional obedience. And guys, it happens in our lives all the time, right? Like, God, I mean, I'll forgive her, but only if she comes and apologizes, right? Uh, like, only if she admits she's wrong. God, God, I mean, I, yes, I'll give, but only once I've got that increase that I'm praying for, right? Like, like God, yeah, I mean, I'll respect my husband once he starts to do things that are respectable. Like, God, just I'll, I'll love my wife, but sure, she's, she's not doing anything worthy of love right now, but when she does, Lord, I'll love her. God, I'll obey if. On my condition. And you know what? Like sometimes God allows us to live like this, but look what happens to Barak. He loses out on the glory. He loses out on the honor. In fact, God takes it away from him and he gives it to someone else. And I want to say, when you and I choose to have that kind of relationship with God, we lose out. Where we don't have the courage to say, God, I know you're telling me to do this, so I'm just going to do it. Like, it doesn't make sense to me, Lord. I don't even fully agree with this, but I will do it just because you said it. Church, I believe that's the kind of obedience God is longing for from His people. And, and when we come to Him with all these conditions, Lord, I will only if. Man, we the ones who lose out on the glory. We, we the ones who lose out on that honor from God. What a loss for us. Maybe there's something God is calling you to do. Maybe He's... I don't know, maybe he's been prompting you in your life towards sexual purity. Maybe he's been prompting you in your life about the things you're addicted to. Maybe he's been guiding you in your life about some of your bad relationships or some of your weekend habits. I don't know what it could be, but what I do know is if you're saying, God, I will only do this when and if, you've fallen into conditional obedience and you have become a Barak. What's going to happen is, when that condition happens, and yes, you finally obey, you, in fact, lose out on the glory and the honor. It's a loss for you. Don't be a Barak. Look at someone and give them a kind of Don't be a Barak. So let's see what happens from verse 12. It says, when Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors. And they marched from Herosheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera. For the Lord is marching ahead of you. Isn't that beautiful? God goes before me into battle. So Barak led 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. And when Barak attacked, listen, the Lord threw Sisari and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Isn't it beautiful that when you and I step in obedience, that God can strike fear into the heart of our enemies, right? He can, he can do that work. Like he's just waiting for you to step in obedience and then he does it. He does it work. It says that Tesari escaped 
from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariot and the enemy army all the way to Herosheth Hegoyim, killing all the Sisara's warriors, and not a single one was left alive. God bought the victory. We would see later on, if you kept on reading, that even Sisara himself was killed. God leads him into the tent of a housewife. Right, all you housewives, you, you get a role in this story too. But please don't do what she did, even though in this time it was biblical, but Sisara falls asleep thinking he's safe in her tent. And while he's asleep, she takes one of the tent pegs, puts it against his temple, and drives it through his head into the ground and kills him. There's some parts of the Bible are rated 13, right? But God... Like he brings victory again through a woman. Isn't it beautiful how he does it? What I love about the story is that like God was just waiting for his people to move. And once they did, he bought the victory. He's, he, he put fear in the heart of the enemy. Like he caused a panic and he caused a confusion. And because just of them stepping into that obedience the battle was won by the Lord. And I want to tell some of you who seem like the battle is insurmountable and your enemy is too big and this addiction is too great and the struggle is too real and the temptation is too much. You don't have to win the fight. It is a God in you who will win it. He fights a battle on your behalf. All he wants you to do is fight. He just wants you to be willing to fight because church... The devil wants you to get to a place where you feel so defeated and oppressed by your circumstances that you don't even bother fighting. You don't even pray against it. You don't even struggle. You just give in. Just give in to whatever oppression is in your life. You just give in to your circumstances. He loves it, by the way, when you can live in that kind of defeat where you don't even try anymore. That's where he's trying to get you. That's where the devil, that's his plan for your life. He wants to get you to live in a place of defeat where you don't even try anymore. But if there's anything we can learn from the story, is that don't live in defeat. God just wants you to fight. And if you are faithful in the fight, the victory will be yours. And not because of you and your ability and your spirituality and your memory verses. No, the victory is yours because of the God in you who brings the victory. The God in you brings the victory. Listen, some of you right now, you're living in Judges 4 and there's a fierce battle going on in your life. You see loss around you, and confusion, and there's chaos, and there's panic, and, and you're feeling that oppression. Maybe you're, you're at the very beginning of this chapter, and there's that ruthless oppression in your life. Well, I want to remind you that there is a Judges 5. Uh, the Bible gives headings to the different parts of Scripture. I don't know what the heading of your Bible says in Judges 5, but mine says, the song of Deborah. And it's in Judges 5 where, where Deborah responds with this beautiful poem, the song to God, where suddenly everything makes sense. In the song to God, she's just singing about, God, I, like I can see why you did that. Like I can, I can see your victory. I can see your great hand. I can see your glory. Like she's praising God. And this happens in many places in Scripture. We, we look at Moses and the Red Sea. 
We find him in Exodus 14, confronted with this insurmountable barrier. And, and the enemy's on his way, and, and there's fear, and there's panic, and there's God. There's no way we're going to get out of this. But then we see the sea begin to part, and the people begin to get delivered, and the enemy get to be drowned and defeated. And then in Exodus 15, Moses sings a song of praise to God, saying, God, I can see your hand. That, that is who you are. We see Jonah. In, the, in Jonah chapter 1, he's running away from God, and he's been thrown over a boat, and he's being swallowed by a fish. But then we see this beautiful poem of Jonah in the belly of the whale saying, God, I see it now. I see what you're doing. Some of you don't see it now. You're in Judges 4. And so your life is full of whys. God, why? Why this battle? Why this loss? God, why this struggle? Why this pain? It's full of what ifs and, and if onies and, and regrets. And you just have all these questions. You're in Judges 4. What well, can I remind you? Judges 5 is coming. Because Romans 8 tells us that overwhelmingly victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loves us. So overwhelmingly, if Jesus loves you, which I know he does, overwhelmingly victory is yours. And maybe it won't be in this life where you see that victory and you give God praise, but it will for sure then be in the next where we sing an eternal song of praise to God. You and I will see victory. The devil will not have the final word. He will not have the victory in your life. I promise you guys, this, this is as true as the air we breathe. This is as true as God's existence. He will not leave you defeated. What he wants us to do is to live in his freedom, to face the things in our life that are ungodly, to face the things in our life we know shouldn't be there and say, God, I will fight. I will fight this depression. God, I will fight this oppression in my life. God, I'm gonna fight these habits. God, I will not allow the King Jabins to quietly grow stronger in the dark. God, I am gonna believe who you say I am, not who people tell me I am. Not who society tells me I am. I'm going to believe, God, that you made me and you have put gifts inside of me and strengths inside of me that only you know of. So, God, I'm going to fight the battle, and I know that even if I don't have victory today, that doesn't mean victory is not coming. Church, if there's anything I hope for for you is that your hope would not die, that you would not become defeated that you would not be discouraged if you're in Judges 4 because there will come a day of praise. I promise you, there's going to be a victory where you turn back and you say, God, I see it now, and you are great. Can I pray for you? Can you close your eyes wherever you are? God, I want to pray for those in the battle. I don't know them, Lord. I don't know every situation or every name but you know every single one, every single one. God, you know the detail of their struggle. You know the frustrations of their battle. God, you know every Jabin they're ignoring, every ungodly habit, and every bad decision. God, you, you just know every relationship. God, you know everything in their life. That shouldn't be there and they're, they're allowing it to exist. Lord, I, promise, I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that right now even you would reveal to us the things that shouldn't be there, that we would have the courage to look at them and attack them with your word. 
God, we don't want to allow the ungodly things in our life to grow stronger in the dark. We don't want our marriages to be affected by that or, or our children or our careers or our spiritual health, our mental health, emotional health. God, we just, we want to attack these things, God, well, while they're still small. And so perhaps you can identify in your own life like a spiritual habit or an ungodly thing or there's a relationship or you're just kind of allowing it to exist there. And, and you're really feeling God saying, you need to deal with this now. Can't ignore that anymore. If that is you, just wherever you are, just pray private prayer to God and say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address that, Jabin. God, I'm going to fight it. I'm no longer ignoring it. I'm going to deal with that issue. God, I'm going to get my relationship in order. I'm going to get my sexuality in order. God, I'm going to get my finances in order. I'm going to get my habits, my my watching habits, my listening habits, whatever it is, just God, I pray that we would have the courage to look at the things in our lives that we know and don't honor you. God, that we would no longer ignore them. I know some of you in this room, you're possibly just really asking God about your calling and your purpose and your function. And perhaps so many voices have really confused you over the years. So can I remind you today that only God really knows only He knows. And if it's your desire to know more fully God's purpose for your life, then I want to pray with you right now. God, I want to pray for all those people you see their hearts. God, help us shut out every voice, every voice of confusion, everything that's trying to keep us, Lord, from what you have built us for. Father, I pray that we would find your voice for our lives. Discover your purpose for our lives, God. God, that it would be your voice alone that we lean into and listen to. God, that we would be willing to break barriers and, and defy what society says about us, God, just to be who you've made us to be. And finally, God, I pray for those who are stuck in the middle of their war and they can't see a Judges 5 yet, God. And their life is surrounded by whys and what ifs. Holy Spirit, would you fill them with your hope today? Holy Spirit, would you fill them with your encouragement? Holy Spirit, would you fill them with your strength? I pray that joy would arise in the middle of the battle. God, while things do not make sense, I pray that hope would arise. God, I want to come against depressed and oppressed heart. I, I come against those who feel defeated and run down by life. I pray for those, God, who are on empty. And they just want to give up. God, I, I come against that spirit in Jesus Christ's name, Lord. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would strengthen us again for that fight. God, because you know victory will come in you. You are a victorious God. And you have called us, God, more than conquerors. You have set us above and not beneath, God. You have set us as a head and not the tail, Lord. So I know victory is on its way. And I pray that as we wait for that victory, Lord, that we would hold on to you and we would not let go of the fight. So Lord, may your victory come and may we respond like Deborah in songs of praise and worship to a God who is so great and worthy of our lives. You God, you're so worthy and you always know what you're doing. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word that even thousands of years later is still relevant to our lives today. I don't know how you do it, Lord, but you do it every time. We thank you. It's so alive. May it change our lives, I pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.